Welcome to the Catch Them and Keep Them podcast with Melissa Glennie and Mark Altman. We're here to help you hire, engage, and retain the best talent to help you make your vision a reality. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Catch Them and Keep Them podcast. We're uh, happy to have you back with us today. Mark, how are you doing? I'm resilient as ever, Melissa Glennie. How are you? <laughs> I have been flexing those muscles like I've never flexed them in my life. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I can say that 100%. Now, wait a second. I don't like how you did the flexing muscles. I mean, you know, I, I know how much you're, you've been working on your physical health. And like, you, you're like, I'm waiting for you to do like a Miss America competition or something. <laughs> I, I think I've, I would be down to the Iron Man before I'm ever going to get on the Miss America stage. But <laughs> Wow, Iron Man, that's ambitious. You know, I I, um, I I so admire people who can do that do that kind of endurance. It, you, don't don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to be out doing any Ironmans or whatnot. I, I get a I get an hour in the gym, and that's kind of um, an achievement for me. But hey, I know you're doing um you're doing really well this year, kicking things off with some really nice new habits on the personal health front too. Uh, yeah, I've been getting better. I've been doing some time management things and uh, stuff that I teach companies. I'm trying to drink my own Kool-Aid and yeah, I have, I have put some things into practice, a lot still to be desired, but yeah, I, I've, I've been able to, uh, successfully implement a few habits. That's true. Well, I wouldn't, I, you know, I'd give yourself more credit because I, I think that the way you're doing it is so smart and, um, it's it's so smart because I think that the way, the area where people fall down the most, especially with these New Year's resolutions and things, is that they have these grand plans and they dive headfirst into something and then it falls apart. And I love how, you know, from my, from our previous talks that how you're just taking, you know, baby steps. I think that's the smartest thing to do for all of us. Yeah. And I think, Melissa, you know, you know, I, I mentioned the word resiliency at the top. And I think what you just said is critical because when people try to set themselves up for success, if, if, if the goals and milestones that they uh, create for success um, aren't reasonable um, or aren't attainable, then that in itself will affect your resiliency because then when you don't achieve them, your confidence goes down, your stress level goes up and your self-esteem even goes down. So, you know, that's a perfect example of how with resiliency, there are steps you can take um, to become more resilient. Yeah, Mark, I, I think that you're absolutely right. Um, it, both in the in the you know having lofty goals arena, and and you know we we often think of resiliency as something that we need to pull on when we're facing something big, or we you know we have in the face of some great adversity. But you know I think to your point, you're so right. It, we don't think about it as a I'll go back to the um, analogy of a muscle something that you can build and practice over time so that it's there when you need it. Yeah, I think that's true. And uh, I think there's multiple examples um, in the workplace, whether it be, you know, HR departments, hiring managers, uh, you know, uh, senior leadership teams um, that get impacted by that. And I guess, Melissa, I would ask you, you know, um, we're kind of at a tricky time for hiring. And I guess, you know, whether you're hired for an organization or the organization itself is doing the recruiting, um, how does resiliency affect the hiring process? And, and if, 
the individuals uh, in charge of recruiting um, are not resilient, or frankly, if the culture of the organization isn't that of a resilient culture, what are the consequences of that? Well, Mark, I think that, you know, to really answer that question well, I, I would break down kind of how I define um, or how I've come to think about resiliency. And I, I really think that it's two things. Number one, it's the ability to withstand, and number two, the ability to adapt. So for practical purposes, the question that, that I would say are always merited when you're facing something that requires resiliency is how, what, um, what is our contingency plan and what is the opportunity? And I love the, the question, what is the opportunity? Because I'm a firm believer that things in life, and I know this is speaking very broadly outside of hiring processes, but... Um, things in life, I firmly believe, happen for us and not to us. And so that's the vantage point from which I, I look at resiliency and saying, um, you know, you don't even have to be in a in a necessarily in a situation that's a problem, but looking at areas of your business, of your team, of your marketing strategies, whatever it might be, and thinking in terms of measuring resiliency. How, what are the contingency plans? Are there any? Um, and do you see opportunities if, if a particular threat were, were to, you know, if you were to meet a particular threat or problem? So as far as the, the hiring process goes, I think what I see most commonly is um, people who get comfortable with their process, they get comfortable with their methods and their tools, and they might see that the things over time aren't working as well. And, I, you know, a, a lot of times things get chalked up to, oh, you know, the market's really tight or people just aren't who they used to be. People ghost you, you know. And, and there's a whole host of, of reasons that the results are, are um, becoming diminished. And so essentially we continue to, you know, when is it that, you know, results are diminishing because of external things and when are you just arguing for your own limitations? And so if you're not looking at it and saying, where are the contingency plans if this platform that we're working on doesn't continue to produce the same level of results that we're, we're getting uh, because HR is so tech-driven or recruiting is so tech-driven now. Um, and then looking at it as, you know, what is the opportunity? Uh, we've had situations, and I'll just close up my thought with this, where, you know, our, for whatever reason, our, our systems have gone down. And so we have no computers, and we rely on them. Um, you know, 100%. And so we have to say, you know, just stop and say, okay, well, what else are we going to do now? Because we, all of the tools that we use are gone at the moment, and we can't just stop. So that that's how I feel resiliency. It plays it's such an important role in the hiring process. Well, I think you're I think you're bringing to light something that I don't think a lot of people give thought to, Melissa. And you know, I'm a huge fan of the serenity prayer. And for those of you who are not familiar with the serenity prayer, it talks about granting God granting you the serenity to accept serenity to accept the things you can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And when you talk about contingency plans, Melissa, I think that's what's interesting because when you are when you develop a strategy for your organization whether it be hiring or professional development or recruit retention or engagement or whatever it may be do you have a plan b and 
what is the critical thinking process that goes into what could go wrong initially and is that addressed in the plan b so i i think you touched upon something really important because when when plan a doesn't go right it's funny we never call it plan a we do call it plan b we don't call it plan a. <laughs> uh, just an interesting little tidbit there um but when when we when we do look at plan a um the question becomes if plan a didn't work is that because it wasn't well thought out it was the wrong strategy and are we too overconfident at times and we tell ourselves we're being resilient because we're not giving up on plan a we're going to see it through maybe it's because of covid it's been a bad few months maybe because everybody's too busy the last few months or can we discern between hey are we being overly you know resilient or artificially resilient or confident versus discerning between no we need to move to plan b because such an aspect of resiliency is being able to bounce back or as i like to call it bouncing forward right mm -hmm. so you just really have to i think melissa it's a critical point to understand this this contingency plan you know as kenny rogers said know when to hold them and know when to fold them right um, yeah may he rest in peace so um so i think i think you're really onto something there well mark i think you know you made a you made a really good point about you know not um it's interesting because I, I think you're so spot on in that some people look at resiliency as like, I'm holding my ground. That's, you know, resilient. And, and, and I'm, I was just picturing as you were talking, um, you know, like a portfolio of, of stock investments or a portfolio of investments. It, it, it would be one thing to say, I believe so strongly in this stock. Um, I, I'm going to be resilient and put everything I have in it, uh, which, which I think everyone would agree is, completely ridiculous. Um, so I think the financial world really kind of has a, a, a good hold on what I see as really being resilient in diversifying and having those built in, um, we keep saying it, contingency plans, knowing that, you know, stuff's going to happen that's unexpected. And, um, and we just need to make sure that we're watching out for ourselves by not being overly reliant on, you know, one particular thing or process or person or supply chain, whatever, whatever it may be. Yeah, it's so tricky, Melissa, because, you know, one of the characteristics of resiliency is understanding that life is full of challenges and that we can't avoid some of the challenges, but we can remain open, flexible. But it's this big one willing to adapt to change. And so I, I feel that the, the underlying element of a resilient culture or resilient individual is knowing, um, I know this is going to sound so backwards, but knowing where to place the blame. You know, is the blame that the plan was wrong in the first place? Is the blame that your role in developing the plan and your ability to execute the plan was at fault? Or is it neither? And it's just stay the course and stay resilient and understand that there's ups and downs. And I think it's the resilient people can discern between those three scenarios. I think you make a really good point. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Um, uh, you know, I think I was thinking along the lines of the last example that you gave that, you know, things evolve and expire and um, being able to watch out for, for that stuff. But um, that's, an that's an interesting idea of being able to 
kind of dissect that and do some root, root cause analysis because yeah. I think there's a lot of learning opportunity in that. We're going to move on and talk about how resiliency plays into your communication and change management within your organization. If these topics that Mark and I bring to you every month resonate and help you hire, train, and lead your people, then you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or YouTube, and make sure you don't miss an episode. We appreciate your interest and your investment of time in yourself, and thanks for liking, sharing, and for your comments. You know, when you're working with organizations, um, you do a lot around change management and communication of that. Um, and I think that resiliency, you know, you use the term re a resilient culture. And I think that plays in, right in tandem uh, with the success of communicating change and the success of rolling change out in, uh, in organizations. Um, so how does an organization improve internal communications around change and around building a resi resilient culture? Well, Melissa, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh give you a very quick anecdote to answer that question. And, um, and this is the anecdote. I'm pretty open about that I see a therapist. And um, I reached out to my therapist the other day to say that, you know, I wanted to see her less because I feel like I'm doing pretty well. And even though she's a good resource for me, um, and she's actually a former trainer, uh, corporate trainer. So she does really understand my world. But the point being that I texted her and I said, hey, I think we can go to every other week. And her response was, well, that's rather abrupt. You know, what, what, what prompted that? And I said, oh, actually, no, it's not abrupt at all. I've been thinking about it for the last two or three months. And her response was, well, it may not be abrupt to you, but it's abrupt to me because I didn't know you were thinking that. And I, I thought to myself, boy, if that isn't change management to a T. So when an organization makes a change, the people being affected by the change, do you actually take the time? It may not seem like a big deal to you because, hey, the company isn't doing well, so we have to adapt and adjust, or COVID's hit, so we have to adapt and adjust. And it's a very matter-of-fact step to take. But do you actually take the time to think of how the other person's going to receive the information? Because it's going to affect their confidence their resiliency, their engagement level. And it basically comes down to this, Melissa. If you want your organization to have a resilient culture, every time you need to announce a change that could be received controversially or could create negativity or conflict, you have to understand how the change will impact yourself, meaning you're gonna be the one to have to communicate that change on down are you in favor of it? How do you, can you filter out your own feelings and emotions about the change? How it'll impact the individuals in the organization, how it'll affect the different teams in the organization and how it'll affect the different levels of management in the organization. And mm. to really thoughtfully communicate change so you have a resilient culture, it's not simple. It's, it's, there's a process, it's an art form and every time you try to cheat it and shortcut it, uh, engagement and culture and productivity gets very much adversely affected. So are you saying, you know, that's, that's such a, an interesting example. And, and I can, uh, it really helps drive the point home, I think, that you're trying to make for me when you tell the story about the communication with your therapist. And, 
and I think you're so right. You know, having worked in some large corporations myself over the years, um, you know, sometimes at the ground level, it, it would seem like they were suddenly just blowing up plans and, and, and you know, that it would be like, oh, great, now what? Um, is that kind of what you're referring to where, you know, uh, is it just a lack of the communication from the, the, the upper levels of the organization down to the, to the ground? Is that what, where there needs to be improvement in what frequency or, or method or both? Well, there's a couple of things. I don't think it's the lack of communication. I think it's the method of communication. And I'll okay. give you two very specific examples. So if you have a very large organization, what are your choices to communicate change? Well, you have email, um, you have a company newsletter, but what you also have is since everything is so virtual now, you have the opportunity to have virtual communication accompanied by an email. And so I think because everybody's so pressed for time, um, the personal touch of the communication is getting lost. And one of my golden rules of communication is you do not deliver bad news solely with an email. Um, mm. And so I think, I, think, I think it starts there, Melissa. But I, I think the greater problem is that as change filters down the different levels of management and organization, do the lower levels or mid-levels of management know how to effectively communicate the change? And what I mean by communicate is, do they know how to communicate the rationale and the why the change was made? Do they know what kind of pushback they're going to get when they when they communicate the change? And are they prepared to respond to that pushback? And I don't think mid-level and low-level managers are trained enough by senior management to get out in front of change proactively to cut negativity off at the pass, as opposed to reactively when someone gets an email and people start complaining. So I think that's a big element also. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up mid-level managers. Um, you know, there's a special place in my heart for for mid-level managers. I think that it's um, it's like being in a stress sandwich. You know, you've got pull from below and pull from from above. Um, so sometimes that's I think the toughest spot. And in reflecting on experiences as a middle manager, sometimes you have to be the raving fan for something that's getting rolled out that you don't necessarily support yourself. Um, well, I shouldn't say a support, but you, you don't agree with it, but you got to do it and you have to champ and champion it um, to keep everybody kind of marching to the same uh, to the same drum. Do you have any advice for individuals in that position specifically? Well, I do. And I think what typically happens when changes are made um, is that, you know, there's a there's a vote. OK, in a lot of cases, um, if it isn't an autocratic ruling system, there's a vote. So if you've got 10 senior leaders at the table and seven people vote for it and three against it, then the person at the head of the table goes, OK, well, we voted, so we're going to have to move forward with this. But then it ends there, as opposed to we're going to have to move forward with this. Um, do you it, for the people that aren't on board with this change or didn't agree with the change? Um, are you concerned in your ability to communicate it? Um, to support the greater mission and vision of the organization. And I don't think that conversation is taking place. And if it doesn't take place at the top level, that when those senior managers or leaders start communicating with the mid-levels, as you just referred to, it's going to affect their motivation and confidence and passion 
in selling that that change and that message. So I think it's one thing to have uh, 100% agreement, but to me, the goal is gonna be rarely to get 100% agreement, but for the people who aren't agreeing, do you still have their support and are they gonna be able to communicate authentically that this is the right thing to do, even if they don't 100% agree with it? And that's what I teach senior leadership teams to consider. Mm, that's, that's a great point. You know what, just total and um, kind of uh, tangent here with an anecdote on that. One thing that, that I learned in my business um, that seemed to kind of, whenever I knew, because you talked about preempting um, messages that um, might not be met with great enthusiasm, I guess would be softer to say it. But um, I often would, when I had to announce a change, change um, aside from you know some some specific you know kind of making sure I included certain information so everyone could kind of understand the big picture and understand how we got we arrived at the decision. But um, I found that if if we said, listen, we're gonna we're gonna do this for three months or six months or we're gonna commit to this for a year, and um, and then you know essentially kind of paint it so that we're, we're going to be accepting feedback, so you don't need to just take it and shut up. Um, like we, we want to hear your voice. I think sometimes just, just that message that we, we want to continue to listen to you um, really helps to kind of put people at ease a little bit. Well, Melissa, I think what you said is the most important thing for listeners to take away from this podcast. And I'll tell you why, because a lot of times I think leaders don't value what they just said, because the only way they would value it is if they thought people were going to actually embrace the change. And so you sometimes changes have to take place and people aren't going to be happy and they're being done for the greater good. But even if you can't make someone feel better and change their mind about the change happening, you could still be available to help to be empathetic and understand their thought process and listen. And that's the investment of time that is often lacking in change management. But if people at least feel heard, they're way more likely to embrace and accept the change as opposed to just seeing an email saying, here's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Man, there's really something magical about people feeling heard. <laughs> so much, so much. Yeah. So, well, and, and so Melissa, so final thoughts, you know, I final question for me that I would want to ask you is, um, you know, what, what recommendations do you make for, um, people in charge of recruiting and retention around resiliency and change? Because at the end of the day, um, unemployment rates go up and down, the economy goes up and down, the needs of organizations of hiring are constantly changing. So I would imagine you run into situations where people are overwhelmed with the amount of change as they're trying to execute their job in HR as a hiring manager. And so what do you typically give them for advice to stay resilient, but stay as a critical thinker also? I think that, um, you know, that, um, I don't want to lean on something that sounds so cliche, but it's just so true that um, what, what gets measured gets done. And so I think that it's really important to measure uh, whatever the key performance indicators are that helps you and whatever, you know, in the particular 
uh, environment that you're in, because they, they could be different for different hiring managers and different types of companies and situations. But if you can establish key performance indicators and really stay true to those uh, on a weekly basis and, and um, make sure that you're, you're watching the trends, and I think trends are so important, and, 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 key, and from those indicators and trends, keep asking the question, what is our contingency plan? And then, then what would be the opportunity in a contingency plan? Um, so if there's, I'll give you some examples because I might sound a little um, kind of uh, arbitrary right now, but uh, who is moving into your market who could potentially be recruiting out of your company? Um, what's happening with the technologies um, where platforms, whereas, for example, um, people today are responding drastically less to emails than they did three, two, three years ago. Um, and, and text is taking over. So are you, are you paying attention to that? Like, it, it, are you measuring how many people are responding to you or how many people are applying to your jobs and then how many people are responding to you when you reach out? If you're not measuring, you don't know what, what's happening and what's causing things to happen. All you know is you're having more and more difficulty filling your position. So, you know, in, in closing, um, you know, my, my final takeaway is you've got to be measuring, you've got to be asking what, what's, what's on the horizon, where, where do we need to have contingency plans, and, and make sure you're capturing opportunities. Never stop asking, where's the opportunity? Yeah, and I, I have one very simple thing to add to what you just said, and that is if you're the kind of organization or individual who has not set these kind of KPIs or goals in the past, and your attitude is, well, I don't even know where to begin, just pick something. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be exact. You can always modify the KPI, KPIs and goals as you start tracking and collecting data, but don't not do it because you wouldn't know where to start. Pick something. Oh, that's such a great point, Mark, because one, one will lead to the next, to the next, to the next, as you that's start right. thinking of terms. Yeah, such a great point. All right, Melissa, well, we love Catch em, Keep em. Yeah, yeah, Mark, I learned a lot today. I, I really appreciate, um, really appreciate, as always, you taking the time and time out to share your perspectives on these really important topics. So um, thank you, and thanks to our listeners that were uh, – Looking forward to um, seeing how things continue to shake out and, and see you next month. Yeah, awesome. Likewise, Melissa, love uh, partnering with you on this and uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. All right, take good care. Thanks for joining us on the Catch Him and Keep Him podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss us next time. In the meantime, remember that engaging your people is a daily task and recruiting is a process, not an event. If you need help, just ask. Connect directly with Melissa at franklinprofessionals.com and Mark at mindsetgo.com.